Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. My co-host, Cole Miller, is back with us this week for, I guess we could call this a megapod of sorts, because we have not one guest, but two guests this week, as we have both Jonathan and Jordan Ennis from the Assisted Development Podcast coming on with us this week to talk some Tennessee and Texas prospects. Boys, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Uh, uh, pretty excited. Uh, we're both Texas fans. I'm actually wearing Texas Longhorn pants at the moment, so this will be kind of interesting. I was about to say, as a Longhorns fan, having to uh, prep for this by watching uh, uh, Rick Barnes and Shaka Smart tape, I am so happy for Chris Beard. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, I I guess I'm going to have to ask the both of you to rein in your excitement, at least for a little bit, as we hit through the Tennessee guys first. Cole, are you ready to dive into some of these amazing prospects this week? Absolutely. It's great to be back on and uh, with two more guests in the scene. So can't wait to get the ball rolling. And I say the word amazing because for four out of the five guys we're going to talk about this week, I think people are at least the majority of the general public or, or, or scouts or executives or draft Twitter, whichever circle you want to put yourself in. I think a lot of people are, are generally somewhat high on four out of these five guys. Maybe they view one of them as like a second rounder or somebody who could be like a priority undrafted target. If mm-hmm. that ends up becoming the case. But I think for the most part, we have a really group of guys to have a discussion about. And, and one guy in particular is who we're going to start with, Keon Johnson. I've, I've had so many comments about this guy in terms of people talking to me on, on whether it be Twitter or some of the other podcasts that I've been able to graciously uh, guest appear on, that, that there are people who just don't have a good feel for his upside and what he can actually be in the NBA. And, and what I'll say to start with Keon is that if you just look at the numbers – and that's it, I can see why the case gets a little muddled because he doesn't really blow you away in any one particular statistical category. His shooting percentages aren't exactly jumping off the page. I know 51.9% of a true shooting percentage, that's generally a little low for a wing. Um, And if you would break everything down categorically with some of the synergy stats, nothing's exactly going to jump out at you there either. But I guess I would call Keon more of an acquired taste when you actually break down the film and you Mm -hmm. watch him, at least from my perspective, because there are some things to take away. Like, for example, I mentioned some of the shooting percentages being low, only 27% from three and 70% from the free throw line this year. But if you look at his mechanics and how he actually takes his jump shot, he's straight up and down vertical when he's going up on his jumper pretty solid release, no hitch in his mechanics. He gets really good elevation off the floor when he's getting himself into that jumper. So I actually think that mechanically, I don't really see any flaws with his shot. I think he's going to get better as he gets more reps, taking more threes in the NBA versus the number they ultimately ended up attempting while he was at Tennessee. So I think that's a skill that might not be there in full when he first steps into the league. But I think that's something that's going to come along. 
Um, the, the other two things that really stand out to me on the offensive end, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into his defense after we let you guys kind of give some of your thoughts about him offensively. But the other two things that stand out to me are that he actually operates pretty well out of the post for a wing. And that to me is an interesting skill to have because it diversifies his offensive attack in a way that you normally don't see from a wing. Like usually when you're looking at someone who's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and they try to take advantage of some of their size against smaller matchups and maybe take somebody into the post, that's generally something that comes later in an NBA career rather than sooner. So the fact that he could take advantage of something like that, uh, which actually goes into the third thing that really pops out of me in his offensive repertoire is his passing. Um, he's mm -hmm. not this like awesome, natural, like I'm just going to play point guard full-time and bring the ball up or anything like that. But he's able to make quick decisions with the ball, and he keeps the ball moving. And that, to me, is more important than anything. He doesn't sit and hold the ball or dribble the hell out of it for way too long. Either, right. either he makes a move to the basket, he takes a jump shot, or he gets rid of the ball. And that did lead to some clean assists, and it did lead to some nice high-low passing out of the post at times. Um, he, he's found different ways to get his teammates involved. So... That much I really like about his offensive game. Those are the three things that stand out to me. Uh, Cole, I'll start with you. What what really impresses you uh, about Keon Johnson on the offensive end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, what you said pretty much nailed it uh, completely. I would just add that like his off-ball ability is going to be something that I think is highlighted a, a little bit more than it was in college uh, going forward slasher. in the NBA. He, he's and, an elite slasher at the college level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think... Uh, you know, given his athleticism and his quick space movement, like uh, NBA teams are going to be utilizing that to a heavy degree, uh, especially when he first gets to the league. Um, you know, unless you're really right at the top of the draft, all of these guys' roles change from college to the to their first year in the pros. Mm -hmm. So while his post skill is definitely nice, and I think that will be a part of his game in time, I don't think we'll see a ton of that just yet in his, say, his rookie year. I think, you know, he's probably been working on this a ton, and we all think he needs to improve his shooting. I bet he's been taking hundreds of corner threes since he got done at Tennessee, um, you know, six weeks ago. I think he's going to come in and, and be in that three and D role and that ball movement uh, that he is good at. Like you mentioned, Nate, I think that'll help him maintain that role. And then we'll start to see him add the skill as, as he gets older and as he gets stronger in the league. But yeah, I, I think you pretty much nailed it. What, what about you, Jonathan? I, I guess I'll go to you and then I'll go to Jordan. What, what stands out to you about, Keon's game it was my understanding that when we were coming into this pod we were talking a little bit off the air um, when we got done recording on your pod last week that that you guys were going to be a little pessimistic about some of these guys where are you at in terms of Keon at, at least offensively and if you want to move into some of the defense that's fine because that's what we'll hit next but what stands out to you about his game and if you see some deficiencies or things you don't like what would those things be so uh from from a coaching perspective, Keon looks like he's one of those guys that one play he looks awesome, and then another play it's super frustrating. Like you were talking about his shooting mechanics, uh, and and they're very 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 worrying. But also when you look at his high school stuff, he was I mean he was a career thirty three percent shooter in high school, so it wasn't like he was a bad he was this bad in high school. And then I think uh, the role change, it was harder. Uh, I, I don't think Rick Barnes' system creates good looks from three at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think 
I think part of that is everyone has to take tough threes. So, you know, we'll get into Jaden Springer later. So I think the fact that he actually shot a really good percentage is actually more impressive uh, and, and more telling than some of the other guys shooting bad uh, in that system. But I, I, I look at him and I, I'm not sure I buy complete lottery talent on it, but I'm still kind of high on him. Uh, I definitely have a first round grade on him. Uh, I was looking at trying to find someone similar in the body. The problem is his physical profile doesn't scream that a mid-range scorer is going to translate. He's really skinny and he's a little bit on the short side for that. Like, uh, uh, like we were saying, I just don't know that an NBA team is going to let him post up like that going forward. But uh, I was looking at some numbers. Uh, 2011, Will Barton. Almost identical numbers. Shooting splits, everything. Uh, as, as a freshman. And then the next year, like so he, he shot 26% from three and uh, 69% from free throw. And I think... Uh, I think Keon's actually a point, a percentage point higher in each of those. But then sophomore year, Will Barton, before he declared for the draft, then jumped up to 34% from three and 74% from free throw. So we've seen someone with that same kind of physical profile who didn't have a hitch in their jumper. All of a sudden it just started falling and everyone felt better about him. And, I, and the more I'm looking at Keon, the more I'm leaning into that second camp. What about you, Jordan? Where are your thoughts on him? So I, Keon is one of those ones who like, because again, if you watch, like if you watch highlights, you think that Keon's going to be like a Hall of Famer um, if you're just watching his highlights. But if you're like actually watching games, then you're like, oh, maybe this guy has like a super low floor. So I kind of have him like in a six to 15 range. Uh, like if everything goes absolutely perfect for him, he's going to be kind of like a, a George Gervin style offensive player where he's going to be able to pass and to run an offense as your secondary ball handler, but still be able to score. I just don't think everything's going to go perfect for him. So I'm leaning more to like, uh, you know, like a middling outcome would be something along the lines of like Keldon Johnson, uh, where he's going to be kind of an undersized, like three, four instead of a two, three. Um, But again, he's just not strong enough for that. So it's really hard to find a a spot for him. The one he reminds me the most of, which is probably a terrifying prospect, um, he reminds me a lot of Josh Green. Um, And I know that Josh Green is uh, not the highest viewed prospect right now because uh, he's been kind of buried on the Mavs bench. But he does seem to really want to get in and play defense like Josh does. And then Josh is an incredible passer. Um, especially off the move. Um, He can catch the ball on a cut and pass during his cut better than a lot of athletes that I've ever seen. And I see a lot of that with Keon. Um, So I'm kind of leaning towards like maybe somewhere between, like I don't know that he'll be as good as Keldon Johnson, but I don't think he'll be as bad as Josh Green. That's kind of where I'm at on him. No. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. Oh, well, I just – can I add something? And I know I complained about Rick Barnes' system, but and this is going to hit uh, someone we'll talk about later too. Why so many jump stops? It's picking up his dribble and jump stopping in the high post. Like most teachers, Springer does it too. 
like no, yeah, Springer does it. Every all the guards did it at Tennessee, and it made no sense. So it had to have been a coached thing. Yeah, I was noticing that too. Uh, it's a concern, but hopefully it was just a one-year thing, and they're able to unlearn it pretty quick. But they need to unlearn that because you can't jump. Yeah. Everything. No, and it, yeah. and it and it felt like it was coached because every all the guards did it. Yeah, we can get into that a little more uh, with Springer because that was definitely that that leads to a concern that I have more so for Springer than I did Johnson. I think Johnson being able to pick and choose his spots better is definitely something that he will need to work on. But at the same time, I didn't really find him stuck with the ball in his hands as many times as maybe you guys might have seen. I personally didn't feel that way where he got himself in as much trouble um, coming to those jump shots, jump stops, or pounding the ball away and getting himself caught in a team of defenders like Jaden Springer did. Like that to me was more of a concern with him, but it's absolutely something yeah. that, that, that can apply to the both of them. It's not like I didn't yeah. see that at all. So the it, difference it, is Keon yeah. can jump right back up and have a pretty yeah. decent mid range shot. Yeah, he's more of a bogus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His athletic ability overcomes that problem a little bit better yeah. than Springer. I wish we saw more of Keon running a pick and roll because. His handle, his handle would lead you to assume he might have the ability to do it. I just, I wish we had seen more. But Rick Barnes is allergic. Yeah, well, we, we didn't see, we didn't see a ton of it. But at the same time, the 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 glimpses that we did see, you guys are absolutely right. That is something that he actually excelled in, versus um, the, the the fact that yeah, he might not have had as many repetitions doing that, but. He did excel in some of the clips that I was able to, to pull apart um, running a, a few pick and rolls. Now, obviously, I don't think he's going to be asked to do that in the NBA. I don't think he's going to be asked to be like a primary playmaker. But it is nice to at least have that in your back pocket to be able to contribute when necessary. When a play breaks down, you could have somebody come back up to the top, set a screen, and then kind of get back into your offense. Mm -hmm. And the more people you have on your team that can do it, the better your offense is going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, defensively, I think he's been sold as this supreme defensive prospect because of his athletic ability. Like the, the, the dude's one of the better athletes in the draft class. He's certainly among some of the better wings in terms of athleticism in this right. draft class. You're your typical run and jump, mm -hmm. you know, dunk whatever you can athlete. Um, he absolutely can get out on the break and transition and cause problems for defenses getting back because of the speed. Um, but on the defensive end, it's, it's really funny when you take a look at some of the numbers, this stat in particular stood out to me. Um, he was involved in seven, what synergy would consider isolation possessions and opponents scored on six out of the seven. Um, and when you break down some of the other categories, it seems like he was a better defender in space when he was kind of given the ability to, to, to rove around and, and, and kind of pick apart opposing offenses that way versus being locked in on one particular matchup. Um, Cole, what do you think about his, his one-on-one -on -one defense? Do you think that's something that he'll be able to get better at in the league or is he kind of like been billed as this defensive prospect that maybe he's ultimately not, and maybe more of the intrigue with him could lie in the offensive end in the future. Yeah, I think he's been a little overbilled. I think people see the athleticism and the size and the length and they go, oh, yeah, clear, easy defender. And he probably, you know, at college, he's bigger, stronger and longer than most people. 
he's guarding. So yeah, he's probably a plus defender and that's probably going to translate, but that's not always the case. As you said, he might pick up more of an offensive load. Uh, it's fair to wonder that if he gets out of this motion offense that we don't really like with the, with coach Barnes and into a more pick and roll heavy offense, if the offense flourishes, I mean, who knows, maybe that handle and in, in more space opens up that mid range jumper for him a lot more and he gets, you know, and the jumper from three comes along. So can't rule that out. Um, that said, I do think he'll be a fine defender. And yeah, I think you can always learn. He's pretty young for his class. He, he will get better as a one-on-one -on -one defender. Most of these guys do. Um, it's really hard to pigeonhole anybody for one-on-one -on -one defense at this age and at college. Yeah, that's very fair. What do you think, Josh? I would say... About his defense? Oh, George, go ahead. I, I would say for me, like, he's kind of like a... Again, this is a Mavs comp, but kind of like a Dorian Finney-Smith where he... He thrives as a, a uh, team defender, but he might sometimes get forced into that man defender, and it makes yeah. a problem because he's just not thick enough to be a great on-ball defender. Like, uh, to, to me, I would rather have Luca guarding some people on-ball than I would rather have Dorian Finney-Smith just because Luca, like, if you hit Luca, he's not falling over. Like, it, if you kind of start to back down Dorian Finney-Smith, he just doesn't have the girth to stand up against it. It's not that he's doing anything wrong or that his, his form's wrong. It's just, he's not big enough. So I'm, I'm worried about that with Johnson. If people are thinking that he's going to come in and be like a Kawhi level defender or something like that. If you're, if, if you're thinking he's going to be an all NBA defense, uh, defensive team guy, I think you're wrong, but I do think he's going to be a positive defender. I just don't think he's going to be like a lockdown guy. Is that kind of where yeah. you're at, Jonathan? Keon's the inverse of another, in my opinion, overrated defender, uh, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is is thick and bodies people up, but then all the off-ball work is terrible, and then he blames his teammates for it. Uh, and so, uh, but Keon's got really good off-ball work. Uh, Keon's really good at blowing up actions. He's he's not the best at. Uh, He's not the best at stopping isolations. Like, and and I think a lot of that has to come to core and lower body strength. Uh, and as that as that thickens out, and as as he matures as uh, you know as a human being, as he matures as a as a man, his his body uh, fills out more. That could get better. We've seen that with a lot of skinny guys. Like uh, Andrew Wiggins is the name that comes to mind. The older he's got, the better he's been at holding. His no, I, I agree with that, and, and I think a lot of that comes back to some of his athletic traits, that he is like this quick twitch guy. He's able to react quickly to, to different things on the defensive end, so that helps you defend in space, but as you've mentioned, his his slighter frame, I wouldn't say his body's bad by any means, but he, he is a little bit on the slender side, so yeah, that's not going to help him play up on defense as much as you'd like it to, and and versatile defenders these days if you're being billed as a versatile guy in the nba you're probably leaning towards closer guarding two through four versus just being like a wing guy who can take on point guards in a pinch um like, like to me like keon is, is pigeonholed more into being this team defender that we've all kind of described him as but if he's taking on an individual position he's like a two three guy more than anything to me who can keep right. up with ones when he has to versus being like the, this, this two through four guy who can play up and just be able to, to, to withstand contact from somebody in the post. Um, it, it's really interesting though, because 
the other side of that though is that he does thrive in the post offensively and i i guess that comes from just his footwork and his understanding of something that maybe he's been able to rely on at lower levels of competition as he's kind of gotten older and played up more in the game maybe maybe once he gets to the nba you guys end up being right and that's not something he can lean on as much because he's going to be going against more physical defenders one-on-one in situations like that but that's just a really interesting inverse that he excels he can excel in the post on one end of the floor but he's probably going to get beat down and 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 bruised up a little bit on the other end that's that that's just a really interesting thing for me to be Mm -hmm. able to evaluate but I, I guess at least to me, I, I see enough of a skill base with him. And obviously the athleticism screams upside to the point where I, I feel really comfortable about, I like, like if I was making a draft pick, I feel really comfortable about taking him anywhere in like, you know, the, the six or seven through, through 10 to 12 range, just because of all the things that we've laid out here on this podcast today, the, the firm base of skills, the fact that the, the jump shot is probably the swing skill, but I see positive signs that it's going to come around defensively maybe he's not this individual stopper but if he's not a negative and in turn he can force turnovers and do things from a team concept that just seems like a really safe wing prospect to be able to draft and and teams can't get enough of wing prospects um period in in the nba right now so i i really think that bodes well for his case and he's going to be someone whose draft stock I really want to monitor as we get closer to the draft, because as he's able to work out and interview with teams, I wonder what kind of intel is going to come out about him. Maybe that shoots him up somebody's board. Maybe it shoots him a little bit further down than we might anticipate because if people get him in for some skills and drills and they figure out that maybe he's not as high IQ of a guy as we thought, and and maybe he's going to take a little more time than we're initially thinking for him to come along. Maybe that shoots him a little bit down. I think the intel process pre-draft is going to be really telling in terms of where he ultimately goes. That That's my two cents, Cole. I don't know if you have anything else to chip in on that. Yeah, I, I was going to make a, a rather big stink about how I wish I could see what Jaden looks like at this point in his development uh, six weeks removed from college, just because he was so young uh, for the class this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely fair to wonder at this point, you know, what they're working on and, and what they're going to do and, and how that will affect the team's boards and won't really see that uh, take place until draft night. That's a really good segue into Jaden Springer. Oh, unless you guys wanted to add something. Just, well, I just want to this this applies to Jaden too. They're both so young. Like they're both Mm -hmm. so young and their bodies are so obviously not done developing that uh, I I think uh, yeah, traditionally they'd be, they'd be the type of guys that could, could get uh could Tony. really boom. Yeah, I mean they show up to uh, they show up to the combine in years past, like 15, 20 pounds heavier than like that's the type of stuff that sends these guys going skyrocketing. Yeah. I'm looking at my first round right now and I've got eighteen people in my first round that are wing sized guys. So It just kind of going to depend on wing, to be honest, where he goes and who uh, who need. Like, obviously, I like him a lot better than some of the other guys there, but it's just kind of an interesting. Th- this class is super deep on his position, so that's something to look into as well. 
I agree. Um, and, and that's something that can definitely be applied to Springer as well. Um, so coming into the season, I personally was higher on Springer than I was on Johnson. And Agreed. at a point during the season, that flipped for me. And I became higher on Johnson than Springer. And I think my concerns with Springer, I've certainly seen talked about on, on social media and talking to some other people. And I think those are probably going to be echoed with, with you guys here today. Um, what I will say positively about him is that he has a skill base that at least gets him on an NBA floor as young as he is from day one and lets him kind of figure out some of his deficiencies, right? Like he may, he rates out really well in terms of shooting percentages, especially what he was able to do on the catch and shoot game defensively. There really isn't an area that you can pick apart about him defensively. Like he holds his own pretty much no matter what he's doing, whether he's guarding somebody one-on-one that granted he's not like this, like, versatile multi-position defender playing up mm-hmm. like whether he's guarding I think he's pretty pigeonholed into the shooting guard spot so whether he ultimately guards like ones or twos like he's going to hold his own there um he can play within team concepts he he excelled at times when he had to make a play off the ball rotate whatever the case may be close out of a jump shot there really weren't any numbers that indicated that he couldn't do anything um on the defensive end at least to some extent uh, but offensively I mentioned the catch and shoot game he, he wasn't terrible at making plays for others. I think vision is definitely something that can improve with him and his play recognition um, when he's not pounding the ball away. But just the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was he gets himself caught in these long jump shot opportunities, right? I'll call them opportunities. They really shouldn't have been opportunities for him in the first place. But he gets himself just in these really tough, contested mid-range uh, shots and he doesn't get a ton of elevation on those shots. He fades away when he's taking those shots. And mm-hmm. I just felt like every single game I watched him, he was leaving not just one shot, but like a bunch of shots, like off the front of the rim. And I'm talking about like like, like easy little bunny, like even short jumpers, not even necessarily something he's taken from like one or two steps inside the arc. Like I'm talking about like bunny shots or, or, or he would go yeah. up for something and he'd get blocked on those shots. So like the fact that, he kept getting himself in those situations and it never seemed like he had any interest in maybe fixing that throughout the season or getting himself out of some of those situations. And that I'm sure is going to play into when you guys talk about like the, the the jump stop thing that you notice with a lot of those Tennessee uh, guards or, or wings, that that being like a team wide issue. I mean, he certainly didn't take any steps for me to fix any of that. And it led to him being not as efficient from the field overall as he likely could have been when you factor in everything else that he does um, for, from a shooting standpoint, when you're putting everything together in like a true shooting percentage metric. Like it, it, he ended up being in the 25th percentile in all jumpers off the dribble and 25% shooting on those short, like bunny type jumpers, as I kind of mentioned. Um, that that sure. That doesn't bode well to me. And, and the other thing that stood out to me um, from the synergy stats with that he was below average driving right and he didn't register enough pos- possessions going left to even be measured in that metric so clearly he he's right hand dependent doesn't really have a left that he can go to around the basket so while he has a a, a base of skills that can get him on an nba floor he doesn't really have anything at least that sticks out to me right now 
that he's going to be able to just kind of like flip the switch on when he gets in the league, like his first year or two, and he's really going to take off. Like, I think if he gets better at some of these other skills, like some of those, um, like some of like the mid range shot creating the playmaking for others, like these are things that are, I think are going to take real time. So I think an NBA team has to keep in mind his age hundred percent when they're drafting him. I think it's going to take him a little longer than some of these other guards that we can look at in this draft class. Um, so I know I just went on a giant tangent about Springer there, but I think all of it w- was pretty valid. And probably, like I said, they're going to be points that you guys are going to echo. So Cole, I'll start with you. Um, h- how much of those sentiments do you also echo? And what are some of the things that you like about Springer? And what are some of the things you think are going to hold him back early on? Yeah, I, I would echo, I, I do echo a fair amount of those, um, especially when you made the point, like what exactly is he going to do f- a one in the NBA that gets him minutes on the court for a team, uh, especially given where he'll probably end up being taken in the draft. So he he's going to need to he's going to need to impress in practice. I don't know if he's necessarily a G League guy just because of the base level of skill he does have, um, but maybe he is. If you really like, I think I think for people out there, it, you're sliding Jaden up your rankings if you think there's a potentially a full time point guard lurking in there somewhere, uh, and if not, you're probably standing pat with where you have him right now. But there are some things he showed throughout the college season that were kind of like natural point guard. Like he, he has some ability to naturally dictate the defense and then draw them in on some drives and kick. He has some pretty good vision in the lane, I thought, actually. Um, and, and I could see those things being brought out more again once he leaves this motion offense and gets to a more creative pick and roll heavy type offense. But at the same time, if he becomes a full-time point guard, do you lose some of that defensive specialness uh, or spe- yeah, defensive ability that makes him special? So, I'm still kind of grappling with Jaden. He's he's kind of like, like you said, he's got all these. He's got a nice level of skill in a, in a few different areas. But w- where does it all sort of funnel into, and what kind of player does that does that make him ultimately? I know earlier in the year you and I kind of talked about him as a, like a souped up Avery Bradley, and I think that's still pretty apt right now. I think that's his path. I'm a guy who can defend, play the off guard position a little bit, and play make. Uh, you know, perhaps more than Avery did, but be able to play make in a pick and roll setting every now and then too. Yeah, and before I kick it over to you, Jordan, I'll go to you next, but I'll just add in the fact that, like, right now, he's a 3 and D guard, and if you look at who can be available in this draft class, specifically, like, just in that mold, like, if you think that that's what he's going to ultimately end up being and that some of these other things that we're outlining, like Cole just outlined, don't come along, there are more intriguing options with better size than, than, than Jaden Springer, mm-hmm. albeit maybe they're, they're not quite as young as him, but there's better options out there. So Jordan, what, what do you think about Jaden Springer's game? What are the things that you like and, and you dislike? Well, that's actually uh, what I have written down about. So I'll, I'll start with my comps and then I'll, I'll go to the uh, positional availability. So like it, if he does become a point guard, and if he does like develop these skills and stuff, that's like a Gary Payton style defender. Uh, obviously, not going to be near as good, but he's going to be able to pass and shoot a little bit and be a really good defender. So, if he can be a point guard, that's great. I just don't think he can be a point guard. I I just don't believe he's going to be a point guard. So, I've got him more in like a Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley kind of role. Um, or if things really don't work out well, you know, Elia Kobo, like he could. To to me, I don't I don't know where exactly to have him, because his his floor could seem kind of like you said, like a G League guy. If 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 things don't work out well, um, but if things work out well, 
then he should probably be a top 10 pick here. So it's just kind of a very weird range for him. We've got like an 8 to 19 range. It's a pretty broad uh, spot for him. This is the question that I have for you guys. I think he, at least for his age, is a better passer, shooter, and defender, and has better positional size than Davian Mitchell. But there's no way I could convince myself to take him over Davian Mitchell right now. And so I, I just don't know what it is about him that I don't like, but there's something I don't like. Jonathan, I'll let you chime in since you haven't exactly chimed in yet. But the, before I, I mean, it's, it sounds like we, we keep comparing him like Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley. It sounds like Boston's going to freaking draft the guy since they've already had <laughs> this guy before. But with the way we're talking about it, but go ahead, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on Springer? I have a non-Boston comp. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> there um, we go. But the reason, Jordan, the reason is that horrendous mid-range scoring. Yeah. That could horrendous be. mid-range scoring that he kept doing. Uh, when you look at it, he was almost elite at finishing at the rim when he got to the rim. He just didn't get to the rim a lot. And he was almost, and, and, he, and he was elite shooting percentage uh, from three but he didn't shoot a lot from three. He just took a lot of mid-range stuff. And part of part of me feels like that's coaching. Um, Austin Rivers got Mike D'Antoni to save his career because – and that that's kind of my comp is, with him is a, is a rich man's Austin Rivers because Mike D'Antoni looked at him and said uh, – and, and Daryl Morey, they said, look, dude, only take threes and only shoot at the rim and play your butt off on defense and play two guard. And, and uh, so if he goes into the NBA with the idea that I can be a rich man's Austin Rivers, and if I just cut out that mid-range game completely because it is not effective or helpful to my team, I really think he could be uh, he could be something that's good. Uh, but I'd still think I'd go Mitchell and probably Butler over him. Yeah, for sure. So, do you, Jonathan, do you think that the mid-range game can eventually come along, or are you just flat-out sold right now that, like, no, it, it's not going to come. He needs to kind of just abandon a little bit of that and just do what we know he can do from, from the get-go. Look, I'm not a hundred percent a Mori Ball disciple, but <laughs> at the same time, unless you are like Rudy Gay or DeMar DeRozan or like someone like that, it's almost always going to be a better shot. There's almost always going to be a better shot than a contested mid-range shot. So, uh, and especially if you're a guard of his height. So I, I almost, I just, I don't see it as a necessary skill. If that makes sense for, I don't really see guards being three-way scorers as a necessary skill. So here, here's kind of like the last point I'll make about Springer. I'll, I'll want to get your guys' thoughts on this because it's something that I've been thinking about today. But I've said previously that Springer is to me the one guard in this draft class who could absolutely explode onto the scene. And he mm -hmm. becomes something that I didn't see coming, at least that quickly, right out of the gate, because of his propensity to take some of those mid-range shots. I, I like that 
he has that mindset that like there there's other shots that you can get besides an open catch and shoot three pointer. I just think he needs to mechanically fix his approach and how he takes those shots, straighten up his body a little bit, not always fall back on some of those looks. And I think that in time, that's something that can come along for him. Like if, if I had to choose an NBA player for him to just watch a, a, a shit ton of film on and try and emulate some of that mid range game, it would be Devin Booker. Because I think Devin Booker was Ooh. somebody who came into the NBA and we knew that he had a three-point shot, but we didn't know everything that he was able to do inside the arc, especially from the mid-range. And now when you look at Devin Booker as a scoring guard, he, he's like almost exclusively working out of the mid-range or he's trying to get to the basket. Like, sure, he'll, he'll take threes when he has them, but he, he, did, he doesn't have the same emphasis on the three ball now than when he did when he first got into the league and i think that's because he got more comfortable working on his approach and some of the things mechanically with his jump shot from the mid-range and he got more comfortable making plays for others while he's not like a full-time point guard i think being able to get some exposure to the position with what phoenix was doing with him early in his career and his development helped him just get more confidence inside the arc overall and i'm not going to rule out that type of path for, for Springer to develop into in, in the NBA. It's not like he's a bad athlete. He's a power guard. He can get separation on some of those jumpers. I just think he needs to mechanically change how he goes into those shots. And I think some of that can come around for him. Cole, what do you, what do you think about what I just laid out for, for Springer? Yeah, I, I think you need to keep that in play if you're evaluating Springer as a potential draft pick because like – he definitely could be the guy or one of the one of the couple guys that we do the redraft process next year. He's in the top 10. Um, and I think that happens if the point guard stuff does start to come to fruition a little bit more um, or he just becomes like a, a very obvious, you know, go to scorer a lot faster than we're anticipating. Um, I think that comes about if like I think why we're kind of down on him collectively as a point guard right now is I think he's lacking a certain element of like zippiness that most point guards have with the ball in their hands. He just he's all power. Yep. Right. Yeah. And which is great. But at the same time, he needs to, you know, most point guards in the NBA have that zippiness or that fluidity with the ball in their hands that he's lacking. He can change tempo, but his change of direction isn't spectacular just yet. That said, he is power. Uh, he does have a lot of power. And I think there could be some athleticism to be unlocked still because of his, his youth. And just, you know, it just comes about in, in waves sometimes when you're that young. First, first the explosion comes about and then you can start working on other drills once you've locked in your body. Um, so I, I, I can't rule it out for Jadim. I, I think it's unlikely, but who knows? Jordan, you, you kind of seem surprised and, and, and somewhat delighted at the same time when I brought up the Devin Booker name. What, what do you think about what I just said? Well, if he could find someone who would like actually really work on him uh, with the mid-range where he could actually make that a strength instead of a weakness, uh, that would be great. And also... Uh, Booker also runs pick and rolls now, and he didn't do that in college too. And so, since he didn't run as many pick and rolls, like I, I think that would be a great, you know, comp for really changing everything. And like everybody believed in Booker before the draft, but was afraid to take him because you didn't know what he didn't do. Right. And and so I feel like that's actually a great comp because you could be afraid to take Booker, or you could be afraid to take you know Springer now, uh, because you don't know what he the, these things that could be strengths that he just doesn't do yet so that's actually a great comp to me i really love that any any other thoughts to chip in on that jonathan uh just that uh 
just the idea of it's the same thing with Keon. They're so young and in my opinion, both so poorly coached in college that they could really be a gym if they hit the right play. It's similar to, I love Penny. I, I love Penny, local Memphis area guy, love Penny. But similar to Precious Achua, in if if they land with someone like Eric Spolstra, who just always seems to find a good role for people, uh, they could really explode. Uh, because I really do feel like they're they're I, I uh I feel like both of them from what I'm seeing with with mocks and with uh with people who claim to have insider information, both of them are falling in that post lottery uh first round spot. And I think they could both be really good uh if they get to a really good situation. I agree with that. As a lot of these prospects that, that that we can talk about in spades, I absolutely agree with the the situational development aspect of, of all of it. Absolutely. Um, the third guy is, is somebody that I, that I mentioned at the top of this podcast that maybe he's not. He doesn't have the same level of excitement around him as some of these other younger guys that we're going to talk about. But since we were talking about Tennessee, I figured I'd throw Eve Ponds in there because he seems to be one of these really interesting, versatile defensive big men. Um, he's an older guy, so he has age and experience on his side from that standpoint. Maybe he doesn't have all of the offensive upside, can't really do a ton offensively, but he can contribute um, in, in certain ways where he's able to, such as be like a pick and roll finisher, an energy guy, somebody getting putbacks off offensive rebounds. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll give it to Cole since Cole was uh very very importantly pointed out to me that like he's somebody that should be monitored in the second round as kind of like a defensive specialist and that we shouldn't forget about him um and and then i'll kick it over to the ennis brothers and kind of get their thoughts on him we won't spend a ton of time on him but cole well what do you like about eve ponds why would you take him with a second round pick uh well actually are you still in that camp today that you would take him with a second round pick um or would you kind of like target him as more of like an undrafted type guy I think I'd still be targeting targeting him in a second, uh, but it would definitely be towards the later half of the round at this point. And again, it would depend on who else is, is available. You never know who slips, and you gotta you gotta make a move and pivot and go get your guy. Um, that said, I think Pons has a chance to be a pretty important, or not important, pretty important, but a, an important defensive weapon on a few teams in the league uh, throughout his career. Uh, the offense is really lackluster. Um, doesn't shoot it great from three. The, uh, the free throw percentage was was encouraging, so maybe he can correct it. And of course, all he really needs to do at the league level is hit corner threes at a, a respectable rate, and maybe some trailer threes. You know, walking into them, um, it, it's all likely that he'll probably be playing on backup units, uh, given his lack of offense. Um, and so he'll probably be holding down a, a unique defensive position um, on a backup unit that has a has a five that plays you know on the perimeter more more so than not. I don't know. I, I think the offense, I was probably a little overzealous during the season. Yeah. The lack of offense is a little concerning to me. Where, where, where are you both at? Um, I guess I'll kick it to Jonathan first. Where, where are you at with, with Eve Pons? Do you have him as like a second round guy? Do you have him outside of like a quote unquote top 60? Where, where are you at on him? I have him is his, his age is a mild concern. Um, but He's also one of those guys that you just know is going to give a crap. Yep. And I, I, I really just like those guys. And part of that might just be the 
be the guy that's had to coach middle schoolers that don't give a crap, <laughs> but uh, I just, I really, I really like it. Uh, and he, he reminds me a lot of, of guys in that, uh, you know, semi ogile mold that uh, uh, wing size guy, but they're so just effort driven. You feel like you can play them at forward. Uh, and the, the name that keeps coming to mind is a little bigger than he is. Uh, but uh, Luke Richard and Bamute. And all of the same type of limitations, but he carved himself out a long career in the league because he just did the little things. Yeah, and Ponds is also a much better athlete than than Mbamute was as well. So that that certainly bodes well in his favor. I mean, he was in the 93rd percentile in the country in total defense. So like that way, when you have his athletic traits, his motor, and the fact that he was so good at doing those little things that has to matter for something. And that's why like, yeah, maybe he's not like a guy who finds himself firmly in like an eight man rotation, but like through a regular season, when you, when you get to like guys nine, 10 and 11, and you need to go a little deeper or you need to play somebody up because somebody's sitting or whatever the case may be, you just need a defensive spark off your bench. Like that's one of those guys that you go to. And that's one of those guys that you call upon. So that's why I certainly think that he could be, um, a valuable target, even if you don't have him in like a top 60. And, and I, I would like to see where you have him, Jordan, in a second. But whether whether you're drafting him or not, he should be somebody that you're definitely looking at and evaluating either way. At least that's how I feel about it. I know you, I know you joked about Springer was definitely going to end up on the Celtics, but this this feels like a Brad Stevens guy to me. You're not wrong. Uh, so for me, I would say with Pons, um, I just want to be completely clear. I've had him in my top 60 like every year that he has been at Tennessee um, and he keeps not coming out. So uh, I love Pons. I've got him 59 right now. Um, and that's mainly because I'm hoping that no team drafts him uh, because the Mavs don't have a pick this year. And I'm hoping we can get him as an undrafted free agent. Like <laughs> I love Pons. Uh I think like, you know, absolute high end. If he can get his three shot to fall, he could be like Bruce Bowen. Um, but like even his low end is like Juan Toscano Anderson. Like he's that good. Uh, I absolutely love uh, everything about Pons. Um, he's who I want on my team. Uh, just love his hustle. Love that his athleticism, his willingness to absolutely try super hard on defense. Just love it. Listen, if you're going to tell me that his outcome in terms of impact in the league can be like Juan Toscano Anderson, you don't have to say any more than that. You have me sold already. I love watching that guy in the NBA. Everything that he does for that Warriors team, night in, night out, doesn't get enough credit. Um, I, I remember watching the other night, I saw that play where he, he leapt over and he crashed into the, 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 the media section there. Um, mm -hmm. and everyone was just like wondering if he was all right, but like, he didn't even think twice about doing something like that. And, and any and guy I that's gone into concussion protocol twice, I, I, I I'm sold on. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So I think we're all somewhat in the, in an Eve Pons camp, which is that that's definitely good to hear. I think he, he deserves to hear at least but once again, he deserves to hear his name called. Yeah. One, once again, NBA teams don't draft him so that he can go to the mass. Um, just want to point that out. Again. <laughs> uh, moving on to the Texas guys that you two are both excited to talk about, or at least I hope you're excited to talk about these guys. And maybe one other guy I'm going to mention towards the end of the podcast. Who, who knows what we have time for? Um, but I'll, I'll start with Kai Jones. So Kai Jones has 
a really, really interesting following that's been emerging on social media of late. Like, I guess the start of the year, I don't know if people even had him in like a top 30. Then you see him like explode all the way up to like the lottery. Then you see him kind of like slide back in, in, in the court of public opinion a little bit. Now, all of a sudden, like so when the games have stopped playing and people are just sitting there watching film all day, he starts jumping back up again now, now to, to potentially somewhat crazy heights. Um, like like our, our, our good friend Bryce Hendricks, follower of the pod, had him in like a top seven or, or, or something like that. So top five. a lot to whoa. top five. That's right. That's whoa, right. whoa, he whoa. Him, he had him I thought I was high on him. He had him at four. <laughs> there are a lot of interesting opinions about Kai Jones of late. Um, Cole and I have, we, 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 there are things about him that we like, and obviously I'll let Cole share some of his thoughts when I'm able to go to him, but there are some things about him that we like, but we also have our concerns. Um, the numbers paint a really interesting case for him, and I'm not one to always lean on numbers, but I find this very interesting. Basically from an offensive standpoint, he either does something like, tremendously well like we're talking like arguably best in the country or, or near the best of the country well or he's like significantly poor in, in another area like there really is no middle ground for his offensive right. game like he's pretty much finishing everything around the basket that you would want him to or he's hitting like an, an open spot up three when, when he's given the space or he's doing like absolutely nothing in between like, like, if you want to talk about guys who you would paint the picture of as, like, Maury Ball, he's that type of big that, that fits that completely. Because if he's not finishing something off a lob or shooting, like, a wide-open three, he, he, he's practically useless in the mid-range. He's not really creating well for others, um, which is why, like, I, I've heard some of these mixed opinions about him being this guy that, like, if you don't see him as, him as a true center, maybe you paint him as, like, a 3-4, like, an interesting, like, oversized wing but like he doesn't have the dribble creation and he hasn't proven that he can do some of those things from the mid range on any kind of like true level. Like he was average on jump shots as a whole, probably because he was knocking down a lot of those spot up looks when given the opportunity um, and, and catch and shoot shots, but he was in the, the sixth percentile in all jumpers off the dribble. So like, he's not somebody who's going to reliably create his own shot. He has to be set up for something. So Obviously, we can talk about some of the footwork and, and some of the things that he's able to do in transition when he's able to get out on the break, fill a slot on the break, and, and then he's able to kind of create something that way. But I just don't know if he's going to be a reliable half-court scoring weapon, at least when he's in the NBA, like his first few years. Even as a role man, he rated out in, in the 12th percentile as a role man. So, like, what what is he really doing in the NBA from from day one? Like, do you trust him taking a diet of like three to four catch and shoot threes from NBA range right when he steps onto the court? Is he purely just somebody that you're going to ask him to just be a rim runner, just sprint to the other end of the court as fast as you can, and like that's all you're going to be responsible for on offense? I understand a lot of the reasons why people like him on defense. Um, he's this really interesting like big perimeter oriented option who can switch out you don't have a problem switching him on smaller guys he can defend in space he can protect the rim as in like help from the weak side and rotate over but again he because of his his size and, and his lack of physicality like you're not going to ask him to defend somebody one-on-one -on -one in the post like he rates out really poorly at doing that so it's like he's this really really interesting player in terms of there are multiple different outcomes that could happen for him but 
it's like you make one case for him in terms of like the type of player that he can come in as and like the type of role he can fill. But then for every like one good thing that you point out, there's like one or two bad things to follow. And I took a stance on social media today. Uh, we're recording this on, on Thursday, April 29th. Um, if you go back and look at some of my tweets today, I'm, I'm trying to be like an optimistic evaluator, like don't nitpick these guys too hard. But there are just things that stand out to me. And it's like, okay, I'm getting this, but I'm like losing all of this if I play him in this role. So like, I'm very undecided in terms of how I feel about Kai Jones, where I was more optimistic in the beginning of the season when he was making all those flashy highlight plays and he was doing some of those um, like Euro step type maneuvers on the break, or he was in some of those open threes. But when you actually break everything down further, you see a lot of concerns start to bubble up and, and Cole, I'll, I'll come to you. Where, where are you at at this point on Kai Jones? Are you pretty much in the same camp that you were that the body's really going to hold him back? What do you think there is still there to, to be unlocked for him? Yeah. So you've mentioned it. I, I'm, I'm still in that camp. I've been there all year. Obviously I, I see the flashes of skill, uh, the high level skill that Kai has every now and then. And it's breathtaking at his size uh, that he's able to pull it off with such fluidity and at his age, um, kind of a younger sophomore. But yeah, the body's a huge concern. And I just don't know what he does uh, right now well enough at, a, at like a extensive volume to put him in, a, in any kind of rotation to in the first couple of years of his career. He's not a, like you said, I don't, I don't want to spot him up three to four times a game. He's not a super physical post presence where you're dumping the ball down to him three or four times a game. You're not running screens with him all the time because he hasn't proven he can do that and hold up there. So I just don't know if he does anything uh, at a high enough volume that well right now. And I think, I think in time, the skill, like all the skills he does have could come together and, and make him like a rotation uh, depth piece for a front court where in the NBA, I think it might be more valuable going forward to have a couple different bigs on your, on your bench that are capable of, of doing a couple different things. Maybe a one who's a little bit more old school back to the basket runs, runs the paint. And then one with Kai's type of skill set. Um, you know, teams are starting to diversify a little bit in the front court. And I think it, it might be behoove teams to, if they want another front court piece like Kai, then I think they could look at him like that. You know, they're trying to diversify their their bench. Jonathan, I'll come to you since you seem to be higher on him. At least you you just said that you were. Um, my my kind of like high end upside comp for him, if everything breaks well, is that he's this like Chris Boucher type weapon off of your bench who gives you a, a different dimension, being able to shoot the ball attack a closeout if that's there like he just gives you something different to throw at teams from the five spot but the more I look at him like I said them the more like I, I just don't see if all of those things can even break right for him to get like that type of role for him in the NBA like like why are you high on him please feel free to push back on Cole and I and make us look like idiots I love when people come on the podcast and do that like if, you, if you're high on him please explain to us why well, number one, I'm high on him because the track record of guys who have looked questionable under Shaka Smart and gone into the NBA and those question marks kind of disappear is, is, is pretty high. Uh, everything from Miles Turner didn't look like he could run up and down the floor and the Pacers right. fixed that before the first game of the season. Uh Mo Bamba, if he hadn't got COVID, Mo Bamba was on a really, really good trajectory. Uh, Jarrett Allen is looking like he's about to get paid this summer. Uh, Jackson Hayes 
all these guys that have come in and they have looked super questionable every year when you try to go nitpick stuff is wrong. And the consistent common denominator is Shaka smart. <laughs> uh, so that's my number one uh, reason why some of those things just don't bother me because I've seen people that as soon as they leave Shaka, uh, it irons out. Uh, Jared Allen looked like he uh, in that same kind of mold, just it looked like he was a bad role man at, at, at Texas. And it was because he was trying to roll into a crowded paint. And uh, Kai played way too much alongside Jericho Sims. Uh, Jericho Sims should have redshirt. Uh, and, and they should have played Kai and Greg together because uh, Jericho was just not useful at all. And I don't know why he got more minutes than... Uh, yeah, it was just bad. Uh, but they are... Uh, Kai has... A little bit of everything, like you said, the Euro steps on the break, uh, those things. And then the improvement he had as the year went on. It's the same reason uh, Mo Bamba shot up draft boards, the same reason Jackson Hayes shot up draft boards. Because Shaka Smart is a terrible teacher of basketball skills that his his players who end up being really cerebral, it really shines through because they improve as the year goes on because he's not teaching them well. Jordan, do you feel the same way about a lot of the points that Jonathan just echoed? Uh, At the same time, he's not a top five pick. Let, let, let me clarify that before we move on. He's not a top five pick. I, I don't know where I am on Kai. Like, do you guys ever watch JaVale McGee and wonder why he's not an MVP? No. That's, that's kind of how I feel about Kai Jones. Like, because JaVale has, like, all these physical tools and all these skills, and, like, he'll do one thing on a play and be like, why don't you do that thing every time? And I, I feel like that's where I'm at with Kai, that, like, his absolute high-end stuff that he does, great. It's just like, if you would do that, you know, if you would finish off of an alley-oop like that or finish that wide-open three 24 times and, you know, just do those things every play you could be an all-star. But I, I don't have faith in him to keep doing that because I've seen him do so many stupid things. It was That was how I was with JaVale when he was on the Mavs. It was just like, why why are you trying to dribble the ball? Why are you, why are you shooting a guarded three? Why are you doing like all these different things? And that's where I feel like I'm at with Kai is like, why are you doing this? So we grew up in Africa and we grew up in Nigeria and in Nigeria, when you say the word wow, usually in a bad way for someone doing something stupid, the word is Kai. And it's spelt the same way. And so... Oh my god. I don't... It's ironic. I didn't even put that together until just now. Um, he's like that. Like, I have him in an 8 to a 25 range. Like, he's so... Like, if everything goes absolutely perfect, I think he could be what Jaron Jackson was in the bubble. Um... Like that, that's where I'm at with him. If he, if he, everything goes 100% perfect. Um, but if it doesn't, he's like straw miles swift. And I think I'm almost more towards that end of where I'm at with him than I'm anywhere near the upside. Um, I have him at 15 right now, but you could make me go absolutely any way with him. I have absolutely no idea where I'm at on Kai. 
I do think he's the second big off the board, the second true big off the board after Mobley. Uh, that speaks more to the weakness of the bigs in this class than it does to where I am with Kai. Uh, I think I'm high on him. I could see him going as high as as high as nine, uh, but I could also see him going as low as twenty, just because there's just not a lot of good bigs in this class. Uh, and I, and by bigs, I mean guys that could spend a legitimate amount of time at the center spot. Uh, I don't really count Garuba as a big in that regards. Second big. I thought I thought we were all on the Shangun train. Like when we I was about to say, week. come on. So, got- okay, so I am on the Shangun trade. I don't know that NBA GMs are on the Shangun trade. If that it, train, if that makes sense. Well, uh, John, uh, John Hollinger putting out that piece this week is probably going to help because uh, executives and scouts are going to read that piece, and that's definitely going to make them double back and think twice about some of the thoughts they might have had on him. But uh, yes, that would help. The the last point I'll say is that Jordan, please, please don't don't put Javale McGee's career on our <laughs> man Kai Jones. I do not want to see. The, I don't want to see any of these guys on Shaq and a fool as many times as we saw Javale McGee <laughs> on that segment. But uh, yeah, I, I I hope it turns out better for for him than that. Um, I don't I just know. Want to... Yeah, go ahead, Cole. Yeah, I just, you know, your point about Shaka is well taken. But at the same time, like, I went back to Jared Allen's freshman year as, uh, on Synergy real quick just to see, just to compare the pick and roll man numbers to Kai Jones and him. And Jared ranked out in the 64th, 64th percentile, which gets a good rating on Synergy. That's not, you know, crazy by any means for a big man. But Kai Jones is in the 12th percentile. Yeah, okay, that, that's a that's huge difference. Bad. That's a huge difference. That's really bad. He's a flimsy door on the prairie like when it comes to setting screens um and, so and that's that's where the hesitancy comes from though because it's like like i said like there's there's no middle ground in terms of the skills that he possesses or does not possess or at least does not do well like he's either like amazing at something like he's finishing 66 percent of his looks around the basket like that's literally something he can do he's making open shots or like th- there is no in between like y- you can't ask him to really diversify his game any other way and like especially with his body like teams are going to be able to figure out as long as you just stick somebody on him who's bulkier than him and somebody who's able to hold him down from a size perspective like what else is he really going to be able to do so it's he just seems like a guy who's really easy to take out of a game offensively so yeah that that's where my concern comes from i know who he reminds me of that concerns me a little bit yeah jan vesley for that same that same reason of just everything, all the tools there, but was so afraid of contact that he actually played himself out of the league. Interesting. I would I would love to be wrong about Kai Jones. I hope he can like yeah. explode onto the scene and just like tell right. us all the f off. But yeah, I, the skill that he possesses at that size, it's awesome. But I just, it is. I heard. But at the same talking... time, after you talk about Mobley and Shangun. Who's your next best big? Dayron Sharp? I, I I'm picking Kai over him. Uh, yeah, I, you, yeah. You, you can still throw a flyer on Kai Jones. It's just important to to understand that if you're drafting him, like that's fine. He may be warranted to be like the third or fourth big off the board in the draft, but you have to be really patient with him and you have to take things slowly with him. Like don't don't have so many high expectations for him coming out of the gate because then you're you're likely setting yourself up. For disappointment so it's not that it's not that i don't see a reason 
firmly against taking him with like a late lottery or like a mid first or whatever, whatever pick you want to take him with. It's just don't let that pick attach itself and its expectations to Kai right. Jones. You still have to be patient with him. So uh, he's I, another guy I would prefer to fall because you're falling to a team that's going to be a little bit smarter in your development. Right. Exactly. I do wonder with, uh, with him and actually Greg Brown, these kind of both fit together, you know, Kai played a lot more four than he should have. Um, he probably should have played a little bit more five. And I wonder if, if he had played more five, if he would have gotten better at setting screens because that would have been more of his job. Um, and then the same with Greg Brown should have been playing four instead of as much three. But because they were playing him so much with Sims, who in college was like a six, like he wasn't even a five. So <laughs> like I understand that they were trying to play all three of those guys. And I just think that was a mistake. I think that he should have tried to only play two of those guys at a time instead of trying to play all three. Yeah. Great, great segue, Jordan. Cause we are going to talk about Greg Brown last. Um, we're, we're, we're going to run out of time for me to really go in on anybody else. I'll just, I'll shout out Matt Coleman really quick because I love Matt okay. Coleman. And I think that he deserves to get a cup of coffee in the league. Um, if he doesn't at least get a chance. Classic summer league guy. Job. I, I hope so, because that, that man does everything you want from the point guard spot um, to, to help you win games. Maybe he, he's not the same athlete as some of these other point guards. He doesn't have the same upside, but he's just a competitor, and he just really seems like a winner, Like especially this year in his senior year. like He did a lot of big shots for that Texas team to help them win some games. So like I, I, I Shout out to Matt Coleman. I just hope he gets his chance somewhere. I think Coleman and, should use his other year of free eligibility. He, I don't think we saw today though that he's he's planning to hire an agent and begin his professional career. So I don't think he's going to do. Oh, that, that was a mistake, dude. Go the Pat Beverly route. No, get <laughs> get your bag. If you have to go to Europe, go to Europe. I'm I'm, uh, uh, NCAA is exploitative at he's this done. point. I'm done. Yeah. Just shout out to Matt Coleman, but we'll move we'll move into Greg Brown and we'll we'll finish up with him. So we all knew coming into the year that. He was arguably the best athlete in this entire mm-hmm. draft class, but he wasn't a good basketball player and that mm-hmm. he was going to need to learn things and be taught from the ground up. And if he was able to pick up enough skill to the point where you're comfortable taking him with like a lottery pick where his athleticism would justify him be looked at from an NBA standpoint. Sure. If some of those skills don't come along and he ends up be like falling out of the first round. That was also an outcome that I think you had to come into this year and, and, and reasonably look at. Um, and, and to be honest, like, I don't, I don't really see him in first rounds that much anymore when I'm seeing like mock drafts online or like, I'm trying yeah. to follow like where guys are projecting him. Um, he did get better at a few things throughout the season. Like I think the jump shot ended up coming along better than it was originally advertised he wasn't a complete negative on defense as the year went on. Like he, he understood when to pick and choose his spots on defense better. He wasn't jumping and, and biting into every pump fake possible that he was at the start of the year at the end of the year. Like he, he got better in some ways, but kind of like Kai Jones, he, he doesn't really offer versatility on the offensive end. And the fact that he is still going to be, need to be taught how to play NBA defense. Like he had finally, started to get used to the speed and, and some of the aspects of playing defense in college towards the end of the year. Now he's jumping up a completely different level and the NBA game is freaking hard, man. 
So like he's going to have to make a lot more adjustments on that end. And, and it's why like he's another guy like I think you have to even even with Kai Jones, you have to be patient. You have to be a lot more patient with Greg Brown. Like For Greg sure. Brown is somebody who's going to have to go to the G League and he's going to have to keep learning how to play the game of basketball if he wants to be an NBA pro. Like I, I could I could absolutely envision a scenario where he, he doesn't get like a legitimate rotation shot in the NBA in terms of like consistent minutes. Till like halfway through his second season, or maybe even towards the end of his second season, like beginning of the third year, like that—that's right. where we're at on Greg Brown, and and it, it's crazy because I want to like the guy, but you, God, I, I don't think I can take him with a first-round pick anymore. And like I, I wanted to be really high on him towards the start of the year. I wanted to believe in him that he could come along quicker than we initially anticipated. But he should have gone to North out. Carolina. He should have gone to North Carolina. Why do you say that? Because Roy Williams is a better coach and and is a better developer of talent and would have used him in a better ways. And like he should have gone somewhere that saw the limitations, saw how raw he was as a prospect, and didn't ask him to create off the dribble. Do you think Greg Brown wanted to go to a situation like that, though? Don't you think that he wanted to be featured a little more just to boost his draft stock? Like coming from like a professional sports family, them knowing the business side of sports, that exposure is everything and being able yeah. to show off as many things you can do is, is is everything. Like that's why I think he ultimately went to Texas because Shaka Well, that and he's from like, Austin. That That is close hmm. by. His father played at Texas. Like Shaka walked into the house like, Listen, if you come to Texas, we'll give you all the playing time you want. You want to play the four, you want to play the three, you want to play up in the five in some lineups. Like, we're just going to get you on the court. We'll make it happen. Now, he absolutely had that word from day one, but he did end up falling out of the rotation in terms of, like, his initial starting spot a little bit. His minutes started to decrease as the season went on. He sort of, like, popped back into the rotation a little more towards the end of the year when he showed more discipline on both ends of the floor. But there, there was like a real falling out period for him. And, and it was even like visibly, you could see it on his face. He was visibly frustrated when he was doing some of the committing, some of those dumb fouls. I remember that one specifically where Fran Fraschilla just wouldn't stop giving him a hard time on the right. air. Like that was a, a bad foul and a dangerous play, but like, yeah, he, he just, he, he, he was frustrated and, and, and rightfully so. Like, like if I'm not doing well at my job, like I'm frustrated with myself, I'm angry. I'm probably going to take it out on something or, or, or somebody and not saying that that's right, but that's just how some people are. Like it is what it is. And you, you saw that from Greg Brown. And I just don't think that to your point, Jonathan, I, I agree that that probably wasn't the best situation for him to walk into. We should have went somewhere who was going to focus more on developing him as a basketball player and was just a little more patient with him versus throwing him into the fire as like this pure athlete who's given all these expectations because ESPN had him as like a top 10 recruit. I agree completely. I just don't think that was ever going to happen because of the background that he came from and, and the family he came from. But Cole, where, where, where are you kind of at on, on Greg Brown and, and how do you see his professional future playing out? I think if you're picking from, I'll say 25 or 26 on to 40, you better be doing your homework on Greg Brown. And I'll say it for this reason. Mm-hmm. He is, He's clearly a first rounder on physical ability. Yep. And that there's no question about that. The basketball skills are obviously lagging behind. 
Um, and so, yeah, he's, he better have the equivalent of a frequent, frequent flyers mile for whatever the bus version of that is, because he is going to be on the shuttle from the pro stadium to the G league stadium for whatever team he lands on next year, soaking up as many practice minutes and game minutes at the G league level that he possibly can so that he can continue to round out those basketball skills. Um, but that said, I think he's very intriguing still. I think you have to be positive still that he comes from a professional background, uh, family wise, um, Texas didn't go right for him, as you guys just noted. He's a young kid. Wipe the slate clean and then let him start new and give him that opportunity at the G League level to really just try and figure things out. Uh, but the body the body and the physical ability is too special to let slide for forever. Jordan, you're you're the most popular one in terms of having a big board out of the four of us here. Where, where do you have him on your big board right now? Is there anything that can be done to change that? Or are you kind of like locked in on, on where you have him, wherever you have him? Uh, well, I have such a wide range on him. I have his range. I have from 18 to 50. Um, (laughs) I have him right now at a 39, but like you, again, you could tell me that somebody takes him at the later end of the first round. And I'm like, yep, sure. That makes sense. Um, and you could tell me that somebody takes him, you know, in the fifties and I'd be like, okay, you know, probably sure. Makes sense. Um, Obviously, I think he does, definitely deserves to be drafted, but uh, I just don't I don't know where. He's so weird for me. He's such a good athlete. Um, he kind of reminds me of Derek Williams. Like, he just couldn't put everything together, and that was that's my fear with him. But at the same time, you know, the more we're talking, the more I'm kind of reminded a little bit of Jaden McDaniels, where uh, just college did not go right for him in any possible way. But now that he's in the pros, he used that experience to say, okay, I'm going to be a defender. That's all. That's what I'm going to focus on. And I'm not going to try to be the number one scorer. I'm not going to try to do all these other things. And Jaden McDaniels is kind of great uh, right now uh, for the Timberwolves. And I absolutely love him. So I'm just kind of wondering if maybe that's, you know, as long as he takes the right uh, lessons away from Texas, I think that might work. Uh, there are some worrying things. He had uh, 60 turnovers in only 24 games and only 10 assists. Um, he absolutely loves to be a ball handler, but not to pass. So th- those things are very worrisome for me. Uh, but at the same time, he's such a good, like he can get defensive plays. Um, not all of them are stops. That's something that I noticed is like, so he, he got his hand on the ball a lot, but a lot of times he would give it right back to the other team. So... That's just kind of where I'm at with him. I wonder if he could just focus on being a defender, if that would kind of completely turn his career around. I mentioned John Hollinger earlier, and his name comes back to me because you talked about the assist to turnover disparity, and Greg Brown famously would show up on Hollinger's Twitter account whenever um, he, he actually got an assist. It would be like, oh, my God, like this is like a record day. Like We, we need to celebrate this because <laughs> of right. his lack of, of passing instincts. But that comes with... Um, him not knowing how to play the game at a high enough level just yet. But that's an interesting point you make about McDaniels because certainly Cole and I over at Draft Deeper, we're, we're also big fans of McDaniels and we always were um, because we took away a lot of the defensive uh, aspects of his game that he brought to the table on a consistent basis for Washington. And there are times where Brown puts it together on defense and he's disciplined, but at the same time he's energetic and he's playing with a high motor and there's like a string of like three, four, five possessions in a row where, as you mentioned, Jordan, he's getting his hand on the ball and he's making something happen, whether that's a deflection in a passing lane or he's like challenging like multiple different shots at the rim. 
um, on one trip of the court. Like he, he swats something away. The other team gets it back. He's coming right back up off the ground and swatting it away a second or a third time or however many times it ends up being. But yeah, that, that, that is an outcome for him that can happen sooner rather than later if an NBA team is willing to trust him with that kind of a role. Like for, for McDaniels, if you actually went back and you watched enough Washington tape, you saw him do that and be that effective on the defensive end pretty much every game that they played. Obviously, his offense was middling, being nice at times throughout the season. Certainly, there were more more games where he was hitting more threes than than and then there were other games where he wasn't hitting many of any shots efficiently. But that was at least something that McDaniel's hung his hat on from game one all the way through to the end of the season. That wasn't the case for Greg Brown. You did see his motors disappear at times. Did see some of that yeah. energy flicker out of his eyes. So. He, he doesn't have that kind of a case on, on, on paper and on film to earn that, sa- that, that type of role right away from day one in the NBA. But again, if he can prove that he's a hard worker, he wants to come in and just learn and be a sponge in the G League from day one, and maybe that's the opportunity he's given towards the end of like his first year playing professional basketball or maybe like at the beginning of his second year playing professional basketball – I agree with you, Jordan, that that is something that he should come in and want to focus on. Like, okay, I'm not this star wing shot creator, however you wanted to classify me from the first day I stepped on foot at Texas, but what are the things that I can do well where my my athleticism can contribute to from day one? How can I get there? What can I focus on? And then, you know, you, you worry about everything else falling into place later, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Cole. You just an athlete like that. You can't purely dismiss him and like let him fall out of the draft or late in the second round or, or something like that. You kind of have to have him on your radar, late first, early second. Um, his body too, just like I know he's only listed at two hundred five pounds, but at six nine, like he has the build. I could see him packing on a shit ton of muscle, and he just comes back as like this brick house, like going not into losing, his rookie year. Absolutely, not losing like, his mobility. Exactly. Yeah. Not losing yeah. any mobility. His, like he's a he could be a physical freak. His 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 hips, the way and and the improvement he made towards the end of the year really sticks out. Again, I I would tend to say late first, mid to mid second round with him. Uh but the the way he really improved defensively over the year, let's just this is the elephant in the room for me. Cade Cunningham as a generational talent. And Greg Brown outplayed him in the Big 12 tournament mm. in, in their matchup. Uh, he, he outplayed him in the Oklahoma State game. And, uh, and that's what gives me some question marks about how good can Greg Brown be. Because uh, when he locks in defensively, flips his hips when someone tries to ISO on him, he's really good. And then add to the fact that he can shoot in a catch and shoot. He can finish lobs. He can he can be a weak side help defender. And I just genuinely selfishly hope hope Memphis takes him because I want to see him because I'm a little closer to the hustle arena than I am to the Grizzlies arena. And uh, I know he'll spend some time with the G League. He, he is one of those guys that, you like we've all said, you have to be mindful of. And 
Uh, I will be very curious to see if he can rock it up boards a little more than, than where he's at right now, just through like the whole workout process and the interview process. Like we talked about with some of the earlier Tennessee guys, he's somebody who better be on his best behavior and giving 110% during those workouts and, and coming in with the right answers to some of those interviews. Cause he could help himself in that process because of he how he's going to test out athletically. He should kill workouts too with, I mean, just like absolutely like every scout should be drooling over him when he, you know, they, they talk about uh, Kevin Garnett, you know, the way that he got drafted was he just like jumped up and started like smacking the top of the square uh, during workouts and stuff. So like, if that, like he could do that kind of stuff. Cause he's a, a great athlete. I agree. I would love to be a fly on the wall for those workouts and especially the interviews too. I would love to actually mm-hmm. get to know Greg Brown and talk to him. But with that being said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. Guys, you are all awesome. We broke down these prospects pretty well, at least I would say. Hopefully our audience agrees with us when they get to listen to this. But Jonathan and Jordan, where can my audience find your work? How can they get at you on social media? How can they talk to you guys? Because you, we all talk on social media, but my audience has been really active of late, and I want to make sure that they know where to find you guys. Uh, you so can I'm find us Twitter. at – oh, go ahead, Jordan. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, uh, and so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, it's the Baturi Preacher is my handle. Um, so I'm pretty active on draft Twitter. Uh, you can find us uh, on Facebook. Uh, we've got the Assisted Development Podcast. Uh, we're trying to be a lot more active on that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, anywhere where you find a pa- uh, podcast, you can look up Assisted Development Pod, and we're pretty easy to find. We also have uh, assisteddevelopmentpod.com. Uh, we've got some oh. breakdown articles uh, on there as well. Uh, with Space Jam 2 coming out, I have a breakdown of how terribly built the roster was for Space Jam 1 for the Monstars, and that's why they lost to a bunch of cartoon characters. And uh, I don't think they listened to my advice because it looks like a poorly constructed roster is coming to Space Jam 2. So, um, yeah. Just some fun stuff to read. Absolutely. I love it, Jonathan. So um, thank you again so much for everyone listening. Um, Subscribe to us um, wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube if you haven't already. Follow us on Twitter at DraftDeeper. Like I said, the audience has been wonderful and incredible lately in terms of feedback, interaction, engagement. Um, Some of my opinions have certainly been challenged this week, to say the least. But that's why we do this. That's why we're on social media. I want to talk to you guys. We all want to have conversations about the draft because that's how you get better. You just keep, like, like a sponge, you just keep absorbing everything. So keep, keep, out on, keep out of the lookout on our social media feeds. Pay attention to draftdeeper.com. Trust me, there's a lot more written content coming in the pipeline. I personally been getting slammed with work lately, so I've been trying to figure a few things out and those technical issues, but the good news is we figured out how to move on with the profiles despite those technical issues. So just stay tuned. Thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.